Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. So as you may know, or may not know at all, cocktails are kind of my thing. At the end of a long day, or any day really, crafting a drink, whether it's simple or more complex, I really look forward to a delicious cocktail. Plus it makes all conversations better. Tito's Handmade Vodka is always a go-to for me. It's the perfect thing to have on hand to make just about any cocktail. That is what I love about Tito's. It's so versatile. Anything from a Moscow mule to an elderflower martini to a white Russian. Plus, Tito's Handmade Vodka has won a million awards, but for real. It's been distilled six times and won the SF World Spirit Championship. So the next time you are looking for an incredibly drinkable cocktail, pick up some Tito's Handmade Vodka. Plus, you should head over to titosvodka.com to read up more about their story and pick up some delightful recipes. Hello. Hello. It's me, Dana Marie, back again. And um, really excited for this guest that you're about to hear. Um, and really excited to be sipping on this cocktail that we're about to sip on, um, which this one is just three ingredients. So what's not to love? And I don't know why you wouldn't make this all the time, but, um, Orlando, uh, if you're in the central Florida area, you will know how split personality the weather is here. So it's like 80 degrees one day, 50 degrees, 40 degrees the next. It's just bonkers. So on this particular day, it was like almost 80 and just felt like summer. So I made something completely summer. Um, Lemoncello is probably one of my absolute favorite things to drink. So I just added that, an ounce of that with about an ounce and a half of Tito's and then just filled um, a glass with ice and topped it all up with grapefruit sparkling water. It's not too sweet, super refreshing, very easy to drink, very summery right here in the middle of, I guess, quote unquote, winter in Central Florida, but whatever. Anyway, it does not have a name. It uh, is very easy to drink and easy to make. So hopefully you'll make it and drink it along with us while we listen to John Rife, who is the guest today. And um, yeah, just a really incredible human being has been doing um, community things for many years. I've known him for probably five years or so almost. Um, And gosh, when you think of the growth of Orlando in the past, like, I don't know, I would say five to eight years, East End Market has been a staple of something that has been so well executed and has brought such a level of integrity and health and yeah, all the things to the Central Florida area. So if you have not been to East End Market, it is beautiful. It's got um, farm and house, lineage, um, Skybird for juice and Old Hearth Bakery, they've got La Femme du Fromage um, and several other vendors and a beautiful outside courtyard. We did our um, an event called, um, oh my gosh, it was like at the beginning of dinner party. Uh, it was about like the kind of like five things that Orlando loves, 
that I love about Orlando. So it was like East End, Red Light, Red Light, uh, Creative City Project, um, a couple of other things. But it was an amazing space, and I love what John is doing and the emphasis on kind of like returning to our food, having like a, a garden there, and just kind of the person that he is in the community and the level of integrity that he holds. So someone that I deeply admire, and it was really fun. I had no idea we had kind of some overlapping things and and just, yeah, you never know kind of behind the story of a person what the real story is. So he's got a lot of really great stories. Um, and there is a little bit of unsavory language in this podcast. So if that is something or if you're around children, you just might want to be aware of. But other than that, enjoy. Hey, John. Hello. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm so excited. We'll be do, doing more conversationing yeah, than right. cocktailing. <laughs> Fair enough. It's all good. Yeah. Half 50% cocktailing, which I will gladly do the heavy lifting Someone's got for. To, you put the yoke on. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so today we're drinking two similar things. Mine is just with um, a little bit of Tito's and yours is a, a little modification of that. Okay. But uh, so mine is Tito's Limoncello, which is one of my favorite things. Okay. Um, and then just the grapefruit sparkling water. Um, just pretty simple since it already feels like we're in. Uh, is it? Yeah. I'm wearing like a, a longer sleeve, you know, thicker shirt. I'm like mistake. Yeah. Like, like I'm sweating. <laughs> I have yeah. almost. Uh, a, you're very floral. A, yeah. You're looking very floral. Yeah. But even in this, I'm very warm. Yeah. And I, this dress is not really. um a lot. It's not. Yeah. It's not long. It's not yeah. a lot of layers. But here we are in January, and it's uh, already. It's perfect for Florida in January. <laughs> Florida in January. So yours is the grapefruit okay. sparkling water, and then yeah, just we'll a little bit of up. fresh uh, lemon juice. So. Oh, with the sustainable straw. With the sustainable as well. Yeah. Very cool Garnished, um, glass least, as well. Thank I mean, you. Very retro looking. Vintage glasses, which I is. And the fruit. I mean, the fruit. You know, if you need some vitamin C, you, you won't. You know, we got it's right it. There. We got you covered. Right. <laughs> Just thought of everything. We, thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know what I love more than sitting and drinking with people, yeah. whatever it is that we're drinking. It always and, leads and to like good stuff. Chatting by chatting with some like great drinks about great things with great people. So here we are. Um, so since maybe a cocktail isn't uh, a normal thing for you to go out and grab, grab a drink with your wife or your friends or whatever, what would be, could you give me a couple different places, maybe three different places that you would go out to get a mocktail and or like go out for dinner or a date night. Yeah, sure. Like, um, I will say that, um, particularly the restaurant or the places that I happen to know someone, like one of the bartenders, like they just know. So like, mm. like Tori Tori, um, Domu, um, even, um, Bird of Paradise will do like their shrubs. Okay. So I'll just get a sparkling water or something. Yeah. Um, so we like to, if we're going to bars, like we like those because they're always happening and they're within our bubble. Like we don't tend this to go, we will travel for some restaurants. Like we love, um, it's called Cedars. It's like a, um, Lebanese restaurant down on Sand Lake road. Okay. And so, I mean, it's nondescript, but it's this place that we love. So there's a couple little places like that we will travel for, um, when we have a yearning for that kind of food. Um, but to be fair, I am a huge soda stream user, which is the thing you make your own carbonated yes. water. So I drink that a lot with fruit in it and, okay. and we have a garden. So we'll put slices of cucumber in it and stuff. So that is, I will go to two, three bottles of that a night. So Whoa. my wife's like, wow, you're thirsty. I'm like, yeah. It I never, just, that does never give you like indigestion. No, it's just basically like, it's like seltzer. So you're basically creating seltzer. Right. And so 
But I would personally, <clears throat> just for me, I don't like carbonation. Oh, funny. So if I put it in a drink, like yeah. there's something else in here that's helping to like cut the carbonation. Oh, I like it super bubbly. Right. Like, like they say, you know, press the thing and then you can hear when it's done. I press it three more times. Like, give me the bubbles. <laughs> you just want yeah. straight. My kids love it. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I mean, yeah. it's a great alternative to other things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. That's good. And I think, you know, it, I don't want to say it's lame to go, oh, I'll have a water. But even if I was a designated driver, you know, back when I was drinking, I was like, I wanted something else that at least didn't feel lame. Like, give me something. And that's the beauty of craft cocktail is that there's so many things that they can do mm -hmm. that are intriguing from a flavor profile wise. And yeah. then with a little bit of sparkling water or salts or something, it feels like a sophisticated drink. And you feel, I don't want to say you feel honored to drink it, but it's like, it's a work of art. Oh, it's like, absolutely. I would, I'd love to hold this and just cherish this, you know, like I, even if, even though it doesn't have alcohol, I, and I could pound it. Mm -hmm. I still, you know, it's just a little The stiff. craft of it. Yes. I'm like, I love it. And so. the pairing and the flavoring. And mm -hmm. so like, I, I am kind of like a five to six ingredient person mm -hmm. for even for dinner parties and for myself. And I like to keep it very achievable. Mm -hmm. Um, but I love going somewhere where there's like 10 ingredients or 12 ingredients yeah. and they're making it and they're crafting it and they've already like dehydrated this over here. And I personally don't, maybe think that far ahead or don't have that much time on my hands but i always love the intentionality and the higher level of a cocktail well, like a fancy drink with like egg white like i would never do uncooked egg white in anything <sighs> but then they do it and you're like, like i had something a mocktail in the holiday season that had like nutmeg and egg white and something and it was mm -hmm. not necessarily an eggnog but kind of that direction mm -hmm. and i never would have had something mm -hmm. with egg white and i'm like oh wow i'm fascinated now like this is so cool like good for you like my very favorite like cocktail, obviously, is um, well, not obviously, but my very favorite cocktail is a whiskey sour. Oh, okay. So with an egg white, oh, just so changes you're the an game. Egg white pro. I am an egg white pro. <laughs> I'm like that. I can do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All the other things, and I think a fun thing is that Orlando really is growing in the mocktail mm -hmm. arena as mm -hmm. well. I know the heavy has done some yeah. mocktail. I went to one event, um, but I love mixing up that you can have a really like you said, a really wonderful drink that doesn't have to be highly alcoholic. Right. Yeah. Cause you can enjoy more through the night. Yeah. I think still... if they're alcoholic, you're still taking your time enjoying it and it's mm -hmm. not, you know, throwing back a bunch of PBRs. Oh Lord. I lived in Asheville. So that was the go-to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, like I said, that whole bubble thing, the whole carbonation yeah. thing, like oh, beer, so beer, beer in on all platforms. Yes is something that I do not enjoy. So, so, so version 2.0 of your podcast is not beer in conversation. Ne not on, no. never, <laughs> not on this planet. All right, yeah. Good. Well, I, you found, you found your lane. You're going to stay in it. Cocktails is kind of my yeah. lane. I don't really do wine and then I definitely don't do beer, Yeah. which I'm also glad because I feel like beer has a lot of carbs. Yeah. And so for me, that's like not where I want to be. Yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. So this is something like a tea, even a Tito's and tonic is, you know, so easy to drink and doesn't add a lot to the to the waistband. So super helpful. Taking it at all angles, I like it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to think before you came over, and I have known you for many years now, but the initial contact that I feel like was the first contact, I'm not exactly sure. I think it, it was, was it really as you were starting to pilot dinner party project. Ben? Where? Yeah. So back in Ben's building, like you had just started and it was um I don't think it was a, 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 a themed one at all. I think it was just, hey, this is a dinner party project. Mm -hmm. Come. Because the people that were at my table, I think my wife and I came. Yes. I think I came to one and I know I came with my wife once, um, were 
totally unknown to me and not, mm-hmm. you know, which was awesome. Like, it's just so nice to meet people that have no clue who you are. Mm-hmm. So there's no preconceived notions and you have no idea who they are. And so it truly is just about conversation with another human being. And, yeah. um, the genuineness of that, where there's no, uh, hidden agendas or whatever. And I mean, not that I live in that kind of world, but just that is who they are. Yeah. So that was really, really cool. And, and I think you also had started to tap into some of the chefs that I knew. And so I, they were, I was hearing about these cool projects yeah. and going, okay, oh, I got to get to one of these. Like, you know, oh, uh-huh. you're doing what now? Okay. That yeah. sounds fun. So, yeah. That is fun. Cause I, like one tie in is, so when I was starting back in 2014, farm and house mm-hmm. were starting. Right, right. Right. And so the, um, I had Brittany on, mm-hmm. she was one of my guests and we share this story, which I think is just kind of providential. But, uh, about when I was starting 2014 for some, at that moment, I, um, Uber was just starting Mm -hmm. and it was the very first iteration. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like so cool and fun. I like meeting people. So I was like, I'll do this. So I registered my car, my little red Mazda that I used to have. And I was like, I'll just, I'll try Uber or whatever, like brand new to the market. So then my like second or third ride was picking up Brittany no and driving way. her to East End Market Stop. for a meeting. <laughs> and so she's in my back seat and she's like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, well, I do a couple different things. And then I was like, and I'm starting what this. What kismet is that? Seriously. Wow. Literally. And I had just started. And when I first started, I was doing the cooking mm-hmm. and the hosting around mm-hmm. the table and the drinks and the everything. Oh, and I, I learned very, very quickly within the first like three dinners. I was right. like, I can't cook four courses and be right facilitating conversation so i was like oh well i should probably bring in some people to do what they do but like i'm not i'm not a chef by any means so i was trying to like start to think about bringing on somebody who i could like give a budget to they would do the food and then i would just do the hosting Mm -hmm. and so i literally pick up Brittany, drive her to east end market um she gave me her card and kind of the rest is history. So yeah. they were my first guest chefs that Too came funny. in um, when they lived over on Westminster in Orwin Manor. And they just, yeah, we worked with them for many years. Yeah. And then they, obviously she got pregnant and then they yeah. were starting up at East End, which was exciting. Cool. And so I love that. it was cool to see her kind of up and grow. And then Mike Garcia, yep. who is so talented. I mean, they're both, yeah. they're all very talented, but Mike was with us for a couple of years and He's still one of my favorites, even though uh, we haven't had him for a while, but he's, he's a jam. He's getting really um, deep into the farming and beekeeping stuff. Yeah. So we, we track on that level too, because I have a urban farm next to my house that we have a CSA on and um, the young guy that works with me on that has been in cahoots with Mike and just, it was cool is the community is still so small that everyone really collaborates Mm -hmm. and like, what are you learning and what can we be doing differently? Cause we're so unique compared to, I mean, everything North of Gainesville is farming a completely different way. So we really are this Hmm. little niche. So it's cool to see, you know, Mike was at East end, this guy I knew, you know, connect these two. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like, you've got another, you know, uh, cohort of people doing great stuff. So great stuff. Yeah. That's so fun. So we'll get into more great things in a second. Um, so it's been a pleasure to know you for many years now, who knows how long, probably, um, at least four or five years, but we are going to jump in to a little bit of your story, which is why we're here, which is pretty fun. And the world is a crazy place. And so many things like we were kind of talking about do shape us and we don't have control as to like where we're placed on in this universe. And then we're here and then we're just trying to figure it out like everyone else. And um, 
what a what a ride with the resources that we've given or haven't been given or opportunities or not or our own DNA that we are just like we don't get to really choose into any of those things and so the story of how we are shaped within the formative years of growing up, I mm-hmm. think is so fascinating. Yeah. And then we probably uh, use most of our lives, maybe trying to unprogram some of that stuff. For sure. Right. And reprogram yeah. it. And it's so hard, but um, in our formative years, there are family of origin, shaping things, issues, ways of life that we learn yeah. and lead and, and things of that, that nature. So I would love to hear, um, cause I feel like most of this, I don't even know. So like, I would love to hear more of your, sp- your story as far as just kind of where you were born, your parents, your family of origin. Like, what was it like growing up within your household? And yeah. Do you have siblings? All that. I'm happy to, to, yeah. to divulge it all. How much time do we have? Um, yeah. Go. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> it's a very divergent life. Right. Um, so born to a father who was raised in Alabama in the Keys, came up to Stetson for college had a college roommate that was my mother's brother. So my mom grew up in Orlando uh, to a urologist father. So he's, there were people about town. I mean, okay. they were members of the country called Orlando and they were sort of like an old Orlando family. Um, my mom ended up being Miss Junior Miss in Orlando. So like that whole, like th- they were a family to see. And that also, I think, put pressure on them to like, it had to be a certain level. Where did your mom go to high school? She went to Edgewater High School. She did. Yeah. My dad went to Edgewater High School because oh, really? he grew up in uh, College Park off of Lake Adair. Okay. Yeah. So I'm wondering so, yeah. if there's they, they were have. ever of, but anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. It's small, right. small world. Um, so my dad said, hey, I need a date for the you know fraternity function. And this picture of this girl on your table looks really cute. She's My uncle's like, oh, no, you're not dating my sister. She's 16. So my dad, sure enough, wow. came down, convinced uh, my grandfather that he would do right by her. And so they started dating and long story short and ended up getting married and, and moved to central Florida. Um, my dad got into real estate development mostly. So in that time, most of the old school families had been in citrus and citrus uh-huh. started to freeze mm-hmm. and have problems in Florida. So a lot of those families were looking to do something else with the property. So sell it for, so he actually worked a lot out at university of central Florida to sell properties, old citrus property, which is now like research park and some ah. of the UCF. So that's kind of where he got his start. Okay. And so he kind of worked his way up the ranks in, in real estate development. And um, so we were, um, had done pretty well. And then the eighties, there was a recession. They, they used to live across from um, Lock Haven Park and the museum on a nice lake there, a nice house. They had to sell everything. They moved out to Windermere, which back then was way out. Sure. Um, filled the- Because of the <clears throat> citrus freezing? No, because the real Just estate the market dropped out. Ah. So like it was a real estate recession. Like you couldn't do deals. Like it was, you know- Nobody he, was He lying. didn't file for bankruptcy, but it was close. And so they moved out to Windermere to a boathouse, like a- you know, weekend house that his father-in-law, my grandfather had and, uh, filled the, um, washing machine with a hose. Like it was tight. Like he would be like, don't buy milk this week. Like, you know, and this is, I was, I was born into that. I was born in 1975. So actually I guess it was before the eighties. So in 75, in the mid seventies, this kind of happened. And so we lived out there for a while and then he started getting back to it and came out at the other end and started doing real estate development. And one of his guys that was building buildings for him had been remodeling homes in Winter Park. And back then, believe it or not, Winter Park was still sort of seen as like 
outside Orlando, not as far as Windermere, but like if you cut to 20 years earlier, like in the fifties, it was like, why would you live this far from downtown Orlando? Like the actions in Orlando. So it still had a little bit of that. It wasn't really what it is today. Sure. So they moved into a small ranch style home on Via Bella. And so I ended up growing up. So I guess I was probably two or three ish when we moved in there. My brother was born. So I'm one of two kids. I'm the oldest. And we grew up Two in boys. that neighborhood, yeah. All and right. so it was a dead-end street with lots of kids on it. We had a Mormon family at the top of the street with six kids. And so it was awesome. It was like we had a playground mm-hmm. every afternoon. Mm-hmm. Like just to take, there's a park in the middle of the park. There was an easement to get down to the lake. Like it was You paradise. knew where everyone, where all the bikes were. You were within were. yelling range. Right. Your dad could come up and be like, John, oh, dad's calling, go. Right. Um, so it was a really idyllic, you know, setting. And then uh, went to Park Maitland School, um, which was... Um, I didn't, so what's interesting is that I never have really been able to, I don't want to say fit in, but like, I remember having struggles at that hmm. school, like getting picked on. And so it was, it came about fourth grade. We had a chance to change schools to Lake Highland. And so I went to Lake Highland and sort of had more of the same. And so it was like, I, both of those experiences, I do not, I did not enjoy. enjoy. There's plenty of things I super enjoyed from my youth. I can distinctly remember being picked on in school. And it's because I just was different. Like I was a great athlete, but I also wanted to be in theater. You know, mm-hmm. I was into quirky things that other kids weren't into. And mm-hmm. um, and so it was, you know, definitely growing up in that of saying, also feeling the pressure of being, you know, the firstborn son of, of a family that's doing well and of, you know, uh, second, I guess third generation Orlando and like, what does that all entail? Um, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. So right. a, a lot of that was trying to find, ride that balance between like wanting to be in theater, but then also wanting to be a, a star athlete. And most, mm-hmm. and, and also like, we spent a lot of time out hunting and fishing. We have a um, hunting lease on the way out to um, Cocoa Beach and going out there and like, I'm the soft hearted person doesn't really want to kill anything, but the family is a hunting family. And so we're supposed to hunt things. And yeah. so it was like such this dichotomy of growing up of going, I want to be this, you know, theater actor, whatever guy, but most of society doesn't mm-hmm. think that's cool. And my dad really doesn't think that's cool. Um, and it really wasn't until we started getting counseling when I was 13 and we can talk more about that, but we really made this big shift. Mm. And so what was so cool is that once we made that shift, my dad started to support some of the theater and music and stuff I did. And, it was such and so a, like, was your dad proactive <clears throat> um, in, was he in counseling with the family or yes. with himself? So I think my mom, I think the story goes, my mom was ready for a divorce and she went to a counselor oh, okay. and was like, I'm ready for a divorce. Can you coach me through this? And sure. she's like, the counselor was like, yeah, you came to the wrong place. I don't do divorces. I keep families together. And so they brought us in and um, I can remember one of the first sessions, I was 13, it was like, okay, everyone go around the family and say, what's your role in the family? And so mm-hmm. my mom said her part and dad said, and my brother's. And then I just started crying. I'm like, I don't have a part. Like I have a part that you oh. want me to play, but I don't. And I can remember like laying my head on my dad's lap and there's like two huge like cry stains on his leg. <laughs> um, so I really dove in full force into that process because sure. I wasn't happy. You know, I was, I was chubby. I was comfort eating at that age. I already was like trying to find ways to make myself feel better. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, and so what's so cool is that coming out of that, that was like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, eighth and ninth grade, I started to like start to take care of myself, you know? And then by ninth grade, I moved to Winter Park High School. And like the first day, a guy that I'd kind of grown up with, we were in class and he started to make fun of me. And I was like, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Uh, yeah. Okay. I was like, this is not fucking happening. I just have been dealing with this for the last 13 years of my life. And I just punched him right in the face. Oh. And it was like, what? Yes. In class. What? I just made this switch. Like <laughs> I'm getting counseling. I have enough self-esteem to know. I don't want to continue this ridiculous pattern and right. bam. And he obviously stopped picking on me. We ended up becoming friend, better friends. Um, but it just 
it, it turned a corner and made me realize that we are so able to change a lot of the software in our brain, you know, of just these stories that we tell ourselves mm. and I'm not good enough or, or accepting certain things. And because I had a dad who was six foot four and, you know, um, a controlling abusive guy until we got counseling, that fear was always there. Mm -hmm. Every sort of pain in my life was that fear. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, until I punched back, it was like, I didn't have a, a leg to stand on. Yeah. So that really was the turning point for me and our family. I mean, I've worked with my dad now for 18 years and um, I love my family and my, it's, mm. it made a huge difference in, in the trajectory of my life. Um, so it really is a before and after kind of story. Uh, what was the feeling or the vibe, like being in your house? Did it feel loving? Did it feel easy? God, Did it, was, was it behind closed doors? Was it attention? Was so, it not? Was it like every, everyone's okay, fine? Okay. So perfect. This is the, such <laughs> a great question. As I, have, I have the perfect analogy. My mom is very Southern and she would say, come over anytime, just call first, come over anytime you want, just call first Okay. so that you can get everything looking great and everything's put together uh, before you show up. And so there was a ton of pressure in that regard to where everything external had to look great. And you know, it, what a hard thing. I just think for her, you know, mm -hmm. prior to getting counseling that, you know, everything had to be perfect. You could, and even since then, we all carry that stuff with us. I mean, God bless we've had counseling, but it's still in us. Sure. You know, so it's still a part of, of, of who we are. Um, but I would say definitely very loving, particularly with my mom. Like yeah. I would sit on the countertop after school and talk for an hour. Like, here's what we did. And I mean, I have a photographic memory. So I tell her everything. She'd be like, what was the movie like? Well, two hours later, I've told her basically the whole movie in two hours. <laughs> so she's like, it. okay, that's good. Thanks, babe. Um, <laughs> But I think I felt very protected by my dad, um, but also very scared. Like mm. if he would call mine, even after getting counseling, when I knew he wouldn't, you know, lay a hand on me, I still would get anxiety when he would call my name with a certain voice. Like, oh my God, it's coming. I, like, right. what am I doing? I'm going downstairs. So, you know, that's still, you know, um, it was like a trigger. Totally. Of, yeah. And so, so it took years sure. to, to where he'd call my name and I'd be like, I know I didn't do anything wrong and he's not going to hit me or do anything wrong. So it was, you know, it was um, interesting to come out of that because I think it gave me a lot of appreciation. I, I call it broken toys. Like mm. I have a lot and I'm one. I have a lot of friends. I call it like Velveteen Rabbit. Like a lot of people wow. that have lost an eyeball, that their buttons are falling off. They've lost some stuffing. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I grew up in a difficult emotional situation because I'm so much more empathetic with people and particularly people are starting businesses, which is a lot of what we do. It's such a shit show. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's emotion. It's every, you want to talk about getting counseling and like starting a business mm -hmm. is a form of counseling. Like you see every demon you have, you see every Or it's issue. the moment you should be in counseling. Mm -hmm. yeah, so you can sure. like hold it together yeah. to actually get a business off the ground. <laughs> yeah. So, so it is a lot. So I'm grateful for that. And I think everyone should hopefully get to a place where they're grateful for what brought them to where they are. Right. Um, but it definitely is a much more loving, wholesome, like safe place to land now in my family than it was before. Like, and it's, and my family was way better than like what my mom grew up with. Like it was hmm. really, really, um, everything had to be perfect. Right. You know, so. were, were your grandparents around and did they play roles? In, yeah. yeah. So my, so you uh, saw kind of the generational, some of that generational. For sure. And all my aunts and uncles live in town. Like it's, it, so you're it, surrounded. There's nowhere yeah. for you to run. No, there's not. Born to run, yeah. nowhere to run. Yeah. You have to be this poster child in the community and you're still figuring yourself out. Like, and what's what if funny I don't... is I linked up with my grandmother because she, um, was a Dale Carnegie coach, which is like, um, You've heard of Music? How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. So that's a very famous book and it's um, leadership and self-actualization. All that. She used to teach that stuff. 
And at the same time, there's all this dysfunction behind the scenes. So it's like, it's like almost like herself counseling herself. So when I was coming up, like my dad obviously wasn't supportive of a lot of the things I was interested in, but right. she was, she put me in modeling uh. school and acting school and I got to act in theater and I was the head of bands and it was all really through her. Mm-hmm. And so it was so interesting to, you know, grow up around that and see the interplay with her and her mm. children, which were my aunts and uncles and my mom right? Um, and their interplay. And um, so it's, it's just interesting to see how my DNA was already geared towards creativity. Mm-hmm. And I've, we've said this openly in our family, like who would I have been if I was born to different parents, you know? And I think that a lot of other kids, like, you know, they're sure. really creative and they're from parents that are squares. Or these are kids that really just want to do accounting and really be structured and their parents are all over the damn place and it drives them nuts. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a crapshoot. Yeah. So it really, you know, it's it's a blessing and a curse, your DNA and your environment. And so you just gotta do the best you can. Absolutely. I think that's very, very interesting. A quick recap, mm-hmm. like so my dad, his dad, my grandfather, had Rockmore Automotive. Um, in Orlando and then in Ocala. Oh, cool. And so my dad would ride his horse up and down Colonial, which was like a two-way yeah, dirt awesome. road. Yeah. And he went to Edgewater and then he went to Florida Junior College before it was... Anyway. Um, and then my mother is... Her maiden name is Peely. And so she came from the Peely Company. And okay. so they, they had their own family company. And so now... So I grew up in a very... Um, on kind of like my dad was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't as stable financially. So mm-hmm. our world was very like up and down, but it, it was the sense of like, we have had like for my dad, it was like, we, like my family has made their own name and mm-hmm. made it and like knows what that goes into making, yeah. c- making your own business work and thrive and not having to like put pressure on me, thankfully to be like, well, if you don't have a nine to five or if you're not making X amount of money, you know, we're going to make you do that. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, but it's interesting to see like how like entrepreneurial, like seeing that I think growing up was a very big influence on me to know, like, I mean, I went to college, I got a degree, Mm -hmm. that whole thing, but, um, it, it wasn't a, um, like a mandated thing. Yeah. Like, but it gets just into agency. I mean, like you go, I, I have the ability to do what I want to do with my life. Right. I and mean, that's awesome. And they want to see me, obviously they, yeah. my dad wanted to see me taken care of, well mm-hmm. taken care of and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But, um, I didn't, I never felt like the pressure from them to feel like I had to like hit a certain mark mm-hmm. or hold a certain title. Like he, he was like the world's your oyster in that. And it was interesting too, because sometimes, like our family was, was, um, I just turned this on me, but this is not why we're here. But like, I always felt like my dad loved us implicitly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, what, like, it wasn't about, um, kind of output. It was about following like whatever you were created to do or to be liberating. Right. And so within that, um, like he wasn't a stable financial provider. Mm-hmm. So like, like sometimes things would be high. Yeah. Sometimes things would be really low, but I always knew that my dad loved us. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think that that was something I was like, I would never trade that mm-hmm. for the world because if you don't feel loved, 
That leads to a lot of things. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> <Right>? does. <laughs> Not good things. Yeah. Um, I would love to know kind of like who you said you switched schools a little bit, but mm -hmm. like who was John in like middle school, high school? Like what was it like to be around you during those years? Uh, I would say it, similar to what probably common perception is now, like uh, eternal optimist. Like I was and wanting to s bring people together, convene people, find ways to like, so uh, having grown up with, you know, a dad who could at any time be Flip a source of danger for me. Right. I want to make sure that everybody was happy because if everyone's happy, then I'm safe. Hmm. And not, so I wouldn't say that was like a driving force, but I can see now in my adulthood and, and as I matured, that, that was a, something that was a part of me was I was the captain of all my teams, not because I was the best, but because hmm. I just wanted to see people be their best. And I wanted to find out where are they struggling and how can I help? And, hmm. um, I love, like, it was never, what are we doing this weekend? Or not, it's not like, are we getting together? It's like, what are we doing? Like, we're all going to get together. So I mm -hmm. swam and played water polo at Winter Park High School and, and at Lake Highland. And Water polo. Yeah. Just sounds real. It was great. Well, it was co-ed, which was awesome. Oh, Because you're fun. around, you know, other athletes that are, you know, similarly aligned and mm -hmm. of the opposite sex, which is great as a teenage In a boy. suit, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so it <laughs> was. Be real. Yeah, it was great. So that was a great uh, little five, six year run. Um but we all hung out together, which was, which was great. And, you know, I really enjoyed, I loved high school, loved high school because mm. I got, to, once I started at Winter Park, I could be in the drama club and be a, a jock mm -hmm. and no one cared. There were 600 kids in my class Right. where like Highland, maybe I had 60. I don't know how big the class was back then. It sure. didn't seem very big. Private schools, um, yeah. So no one gave a shit. Like I could be whoever I wanted. It was so liberating. And it came at that time when I'm already going through a lot of the self-development stuff. So it allowed me to really. Was Winter Park High <clears> when you <throat> punched the kid in the face? Yes. Or was the, that first, the first the day first, of school. The first day yeah. of school. Great. So you're like, establishing so, so I boundaries. I was just like a year into counseling. And I'm like, I'm not doing this again. So right. I established boundaries. And that is something that we say a lot in the counseling I go to is setting limits and boundaries, setting healthy limits and boundaries mm -hmm. and saying, I'm, this is my limit. This is my boundary. Like I do some consulting and sometimes they'll call me at all hours. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't take calls after nine. Right. Like if it's an emergency nine, yeah. well, for this project, That's, which okay. was time sensitive, um, you can wait till, you know, the morning. Um, and did that detract from their appeal of me as their contractor? Probably not. They're probably like, okay, fine. Not after nine, but back in the day, I would have been like you. any hour I'm available any hour, yeah. as long as it doesn't make you upset. Where now I'm like, if it makes you upset too damn bad, I'm not going to be available after nine. <laughs> Um, so I think that was definitely something that I started to do in because high school. Because you preface with that. Totally. And it's right. totally polite. It's just that yeah. this is what I have to do to stay healthy. Like I work out every morning. If you have a meeting before eight, when I drop the kids off, I can't do that, you know, or know that I'm making a sacrifice for the team and it should come back. There's some reciprocity right. out of that. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I, I, I was a part of a lot of clubs. I started a lot of clubs. Like it was a great canvas to expand who I was coming out of, you know, um, the awkwardness and discomfort of middle school. I mean, like just, ugh, it was middle gross. school was the worst. Yeah, it was the worst. I Seventh just, grade yeah. to this day is yeah. still <laughs> the worst year of my life besides 2018. Yeah. Literally middle school is the devil. Oh, geez. I sympathize. And I was, I was not, I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy with my friends. My friends Your weren't happy with me. Was, oh changing. God, I know. It's awful. <laughs> I looked back at pictures. I'm like, you poor soul. Like, thank God you came out of that. Um, so I really flourished uh, in high school. And, and I think, you know, since then felt a sense of I'm the arbiter of my own fate and, you know, really getting to choose the things. And with, with um, electives and everything else and clubs, like I could really pursue whatever I wanted. And for me, like, I, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Enneagram and I, I haven't read about mine yet. I just know the result.
but my Myers-Briggs is ENFP. And mm-hmm. it's someone that's always seeking to learn something and try mm-hmm. something new and, you know, um, maximize things, see things that are great, but could be better. And, um, I got to do that, you know, in, in high school and in college. Right. And so it was fun to sort of get to utilize who I was as a person instead of just being scared you mm-hmm. know, and afraid. That's awesome. Yeah. How was your relationship with your brothers? So you have one sibling for something I have no clue about, but like you also were probably tracking somewhat in schools together. Yeah, so we're three years apart. Okay. Totally different people. Okay. I mean, night and day. So I, I am the, was the, I don't know, optimistic, responsible firstborn kid. And he was the one. And, and some of this comes out of having the father that we had prior to counseling. My way of not getting pain was to just do whatever the heck he said. Uh, I will do it. Whatever it is, I no will conflict. do it. I'll, yes, I will get the A plus, whatever. I just don't want you to be mad at me. My brother was, if I piss you off enough, you'll just give up. And it worked. Ooh. So he would go take the truck and go mudding with it or skip school to go surfing or whatever, where I would never do that stuff. So we always were very different, um, but cohorts against my dad, you know, like sort of like, he's like, dude, I forgot to wash the bottom of the truck. Like help. What do I do? I'm like, you mean you took it? So he washed the whole truck, but not the bottom, but he's been mudding and it's all dripped onto the floor of the garage. And so you walk out and you're like, Oh, you're so busted. (laughs) Um, So I was trying to save his ass more often than not. Um, Did you guys trust each other? Yeah, I'd say so. But uh, too, you know, when you're three years apart, you do tend to be in different circles. So although when I was in my senior year at Winter Park, he was, he was a freshman, freshman and I was bringing him along and he, he swam and played water polo too. And what's cool is that we were different athletes. Like I was a distance swimmer. He was a sprinter. I was a defensive player. He was an offensive player. So we didn't mm-hmm. really compete at that level, but we were, you know, we were competitive with each other. Um, like most kids are. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he, he went off to university of Richmond and um, I went to Furman and we weren't really in co- after that in college. And then we can go into it if you want to, but he had a skateboarding accident in college and had brain injury brain injury and so he's he's been kind of handicapped since then oh um so it'd be interesting to know like i thankfully i married into a family with several sisters so i have siblings again sort of and so it's weird to kind of see that progress and go what would it have been had we you know continued on where we were um so really i only have for frame of reference kind of prior to 99 um with him and then your relationship right now is not able to be fully because he doesn't so he's, have fully. He, he's in town. He is in a facility that has a um, an apartment and a care team and whatever. And if you sat down and had a conversation with him, you wouldn't notice immediately that something wasn't right. But he had frontal brain lobe damage. Okay. And so that's like your tact control. It's like, like they would, I remember them giving him tests like, okay, the house is on fire. What do you do? Well, I'll go grab my PlayStation and whatever. And like, it was like, he wasn't thinking logically. No, Is he like stuck in 1999? No, no. He's, he has memories since then. And okay. um, he, what's weird is he used to have dyslexia and now he reads like a fish. Like it's weird. So a lot of things happen hmm. there, like, but he lost peripheral vision. And so I don't know. Um, it's definitely challenging because he's not the person that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a relationship with him. He's my brother. We yeah. see each other. Um, but it's not, it, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's like if you had an elderly parent that had Alzheimer's, but it's a little like that. Like we still have a lot of commonalities, but also, I mean, he's been since 99 sort of, I don't want to say in stasis, but like, there's not really a way for him to progress, you know, in life. And I remember, I remember there being a big, he went to like his 10 year reunion or something. And it was a big, like for him, like, oh my gosh, like my, I'm stuck. Life is, yeah. Yeah, And I'm not going to get out of this. Mm. Like, and so we're just grateful that he's not dead. And we still have relationships with him. My kids know him and, you know, we'll see him this weekend. And sure. so, um, 
a definitely a game changer. And I think for me, puts so much more pressure on me. You know, I'm the only kid, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, heartbreaking things like my mom has said before, like, you're only as happy as your least happy child. I was like, oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, she said it in a, in, a, in a sad moment, but it's true. I mean, I have children, like if one's hurting, it doesn't matter how good the other one's feeling. Like you feel for the one that's hurting. Sure. So you're trying to assuage their pain. Sure. Um, so I think it definitely drew us closer together as a family, just rallying around him when he was going through the surgery and stuff. But um, I would say now in my life, as my dad ages and he's going through Parkinson's, like the pressure of being, I, I'm it, there's no buffer. You know, so my mom turns to me and she's like, hi. Well, at least you delivered kids, grandkids. Yes, true. Uh, Good. They can't, they can't get old enough soon enough. Like put some, put some shit on them, you know? (laughs) So let me make them twisted with responsibility. Um, But no, I mean, I think it's all part of it. And I think, you know, people, what's crazy in life is that we do go through life trying so hard to look like we have it all together. And, but that's still a part of my reality, you know, like that and my dad's Parkinson's and stuff, like. For the most part, I'm an optimist, and so I'm out there always trying to live life to the fullest each day, knowing mm-hmm. that my time will come. I mean, that's like one of the Getting wake up more calls. Real. Yeah, it's yeah. like okay, my dad's starting to fail. My brother has brain injury. Like I have back I should, issues. Yeah, I life. should be grateful for right. every freaking day I'm on the planet, and mm-hmm. and you know, so that it's a sobering, um, but wonderful dichotomy. Mm-hmm. You know, to, that it really does make you try to get the most out of each day. Sure. That's awesome. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area, haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. So as we grow and have more grasp on who we are and we get to grow into our adulthood, then we make those decisions and then we, um, you know, somewhat make our own path. I think that's also a lot that's tied to circumstances and resources that are available to us and education in those ways. But um there are things in life that um, sometimes happen that are beyond our control or things that we have gone through or um, I've gone through some things that obviously have been um, kind of low points. But has there been ever been a time of um, a, a situation or something that happened that you kind of felt devastated by? And then how did you kind of move through that? Mm, yes, several. <laughs> um, sure. I think when, you know, built the way I am, I definitely go chase things. I'm kind of better about judging whether this is worth chasing or not. Um, and, so, and some of that is, relates to relationships. So um, I'd been engaged once before and before I got married. I've been married for 15 years now. But um, she had an eating disorder prior to me meeting her. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm working at a Christian boys camp at North Carolina at the time. And she's, so it's very kosher. Like I'm not seeing her naked body. Like I'm not noticing that she's losing weight. So we end up getting married or getting, getting engaged. My parents come to meet her and then we're planning a wedding a couple months later, they come back and they're like, Oh my gosh, what happened? I'm like, what do you mean? What happened? She's like, she's lost so much weight. I'm like, I I don't even know what you mean. Okay, well, I'll bring it up. So I brought Mm -hmm. it up and they're like the counselor or she said, well, yes, but I'm not your responsibility yet. Meaning, we're not married yet. And I was like, well, it's not about his responsibility is I love you and what's going on. And she's like, well, technically I'm under my emergency, go back to treatment wait. I'm like, well, then let's get you back to treatment. Like what's going on? So anyway, she went into treatment and all this other stuff came out Mm -hmm. that I didn't know about like sexual abuse and and all this stuff. And and it it felt hard. Like I felt like I was always trying to be on the wings of the plane, trying to rivet the rivets back in. Like, like why is this, we're not even married and it feels hard. Mm -hmm. And so all this stuff came out and long story short, the counselors and my counselor from home that I've been seeing since I was 13 was like, you've got to give her space because she was saying to the counselor there, like, what do I need to do to say, no, she told me on the phone, what do I need to say to them so I can get out of here? And, and get married. I'm like, that is oh, not I how you get healthy. Mm, um, I said, I'll be here, you know, when you get out, but you got to take advantage of this while you're there. So the group had me fly out like they're in a counseling session and break it off so that she could get healthy on her own. Oh my God. That was Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, just miserable experience. Cause here I am the person that wants to fix everything and make everything work and everybody happy. And I am supposed to go out and destroy a young a, someone I love, yeah. but her dream of marriage and family and everything else that we've been sure. talking about. So, I mean, just devastating. God. So I came back from that and um, she was out there for another month or two. And then we met up afterwards and we both decided at that point, it was better for us to continue to grow on our own. If it comes back together, we would, because I'd already moved home to Winter Park to give her space and like get out of her town, let her have her space. Wait, you were living? I was in or? Asheville, North okay. Carolina. And so I moved home uh, to Winter Park at the time. And then... Um, not long after that started dating someone that I had dated in college. And I mean, just wackadoo. I, you, these stories that are in my life, people are in there right. believe this shit. <laughs> um, her family was into deliverance ministry, like to deliver people from demons. So her dad sure. yes, had been a pastor for 30 years and um, in the Baptist church and had, I guess, found this ministry. Like, you know, people are possessed and he's going to help them get unpossessed. And so this is a girl that I really had thought about. I'd be with for a long time. Like we played music together in college. She was a year older than me. Um, I always had a crush on her. She was an athlete. Like we had a lot in common. And, um, so we started dating. She lived in Charleston. And so we, I'd go up there. She'd come down mm-hmm. here. So I kind of thought like, Oh, this is, this is, this is why my first marriage didn't work. Like my first, really? I was there to help save her. Sure. And now this is, you know, my, my turn. You felt like an equal. Yeah. Right. So this is great. Like we're, sure. we're, I'm talented. She's talented. She was studying to be a physician's assistant and I was doing, you know, investment stuff. And so I'm like, oh, this is, this is what's supposed to happen. Sure. But that deliverance stuff got so wacky. Like it got really out there. Was and she on board with that? So she was on, well, it's her dad. So that it was, doesn't oh no, I know, but hear mean, me out. So she, yes, she's on board. To, to, she's yes, okay. Because I'm starting to ask questions and you know, I'm not, a super scholar of the Bible or anything. And my Christianity is definitely way more mellow than it was back then, but I was in it enough to go, this doesn't sound right. And at some point the father got a word for, I mean, it's so, but like we'd be sitting on the couch and her dad would walk by. He's like, Oh, I've got to go to June's house. Michael's there. And so out he goes and I'm like, okay, great. No water. And so then my 
girlfriend turns to me, she goes, well, you know who Michael is? I'm like, no. Like, oh, well, Archangel Michael. Michael, the angel's at the house and, and dad's got to go talk to the, this guy. So I'm keeping a straight face, but the whole time I'm going, what? This is so wackadoo. <laughs> right. And she's a normal, bright person. Like she's a really intelligent, articulate uh-huh. person. So long story short, she comes down to Florida and we're sitting in the, at a beach condo with my parents. And um, she tells me that God or angels or whatever have told her dad to get a divorce from her mom and to marry this other woman because she's needs help. Um, I'm sorry, what? I know. So I'm like, well, doesn't the Bible say like what God puts together, don't let man separate? And she's like, well, yes, but it doesn't say what God puts together, don't let God separate. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my like, gosh we're, we're mincing what? words. We're like, what? So I'm, I'm saying goodbye to her and I walk away and she gets in the car to drive like, back. I'm crying. Like, this is over. Like, I can't yeah, be part of this. Like, yeah, how yeah. can I do this? And so my parents are like, oh, how sweet. Like you missed her already. And I'm like, I can't say Honey, anything yet. Cause no. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I finally was like, oh, let me go up one more time. And just work through this and see what the story is. So they, How old were you at this time? I'm 20. Like early 20s? 3, 24. Okay. And um, they're like, we'll come up. We'll come into Did the, your parents? They have no like, clue this is going on. Oh. So I go to this deliverance, like a okay. true deliverance where we're there, you know, worshiping over this guy. This I guy not jumps. pay for this story. I know. This is it's, amazing. It's, it's bizarre. It's <laughs> okay. just, it's it's my life. Okay. Um, so they're reading this scripture and stuff and this world Vietnam vet starts like screeching and like jumps over the couch backwards. And there's a, and the former NFL football player is like holding him down. So there's other people involved in this. So that's, what's so hard is that I'm only one guy, but there's a culture, but there's, there's a, a culture there. Yes. That's, that's so when every time I watch shows on Netflix about cults and stuff, I'm like, yeah, like you're young, you're impressionable. Yeah. I'm in love with this girl and I want it to be real. And the whole time I'm trying to go, where's the, if it's God, I want it. Obviously I'm, I was raised in a Christian family. I, this is, if it's God, I want more of it. And right. so I'm watching all this go down. I'm like this, and the whole time I'm, I'm participating because I, sh- I mean, I'm helping. Like I'm one playing music. Like I'm, I was a worship leader in the day. So I'm, I'm in it. The whole time behind my eyes, I'm going, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Are they going to kill me? Like, it was really intense. Yeah, so we finally get, scary. it gets done. And they're all like, oh, good job. We knew you, you know, would do well here or whatever. And then. <laughs> You're like. No. Nervous. So then the next, I can't leave yet. I'm still in Charleston. So I go the next day, Sunday to Charles? play worship it was in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, it wasn't in Asheville. No, no, it's a different, different uh-huh. girl. So this is a totally different family. Okay, sorry. So I'm in Charleston. I have to lead worship for their church. So I'm in front of their whole church and it's great. It's normal church. I'm, I'm playing music and singing and whatever. And, and, and walks the Vietnam vet guy who we've just done all this work on. And he starts going crazy at the back of the church. So I'm like, oh, we just went through this super How? hellish hard day to help this guy. And it's still happening. Right. I'm like, I am so done. So I ended up leaving and I mean, the whole thing that was on Dateline NBC, like they, in, so that, that oh. too, they're getting national recognition for this thing. And I'm just this punk kid going, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, well, how can it be wrong if the Lord's, you know, supporting this and they're showing us, you know, his, that it's right by national media and all this stuff. So I break it off with her and it's awful. Like I've, I've looked back at my journals. I'm so proud of myself because it was really, I could see in my journals and in my letters to her, how much I was struggling with mm-hmm. This doesn't feel right to me, but I love this person and I'm going to get dragged into this thing that I don't think is right. And so long story short, I ended up, you know, breaking it off and how I told my parents, cause they thought we were going to get married. I was like, this is why I didn't work out with the other girl. And I've been loving this girl forever. But were they mm-hmm. clued into the, the behind the scenes? No, as they got far no as clue. They have no clue about the, the deliverance family stuff. that you'd be marrying into. No, 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 no. So Done. here's, here's how I show them. Right. So the tape of that 
um, show. No, of oh, the show. I of, put it in Dateline. Yes, I put it in. I'm like, watch this. And they and and she was in the video with her dad doing the stuff, and their their jaws just start dropping. I mean, I'm I'm laughing now, but I was watching them going, doing probably thinking what you you just said, like he's going to marry into this stuff. Yeah. And anyway, long story short, which I say a lot because there's a lot of long stories in my life. Um, they're like, oh my god, they were so happy for me. They were proud of me for the wisdom that to, to it took getting out to, of that. Yeah, and knowing and how much you weren't engaged to, no, no, no. to that one. But it was right? close. I mean, I was already we were already looking at homes and stuff up there. Like it was going to happen, right? And so that was the one that really sent me down the spiral. Wow. And I was living in Winter Park uh, with my cousin and I couldn't get out of it because now it's not only am I losing someone that I love, but my faith is tied up in it. What the hell is real in the world is tied up into it. I mean, I'm 23, 24. I mean, what a, oh my God, it was awful. I can remember mm-hmm. just sitting by the lake and I couldn't get out of my head I just because all those questions are there at every minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, so talking about low moments, it took me a long time to dig out of that. So I left that went into uh, seminary out at Reformed Theological in Oviedo. Oh, you went to RTS? Yeah, I went to RTS. Uh, for Did two, you graduate for two, No, two terms. Okay. And right before my finals, um, I realized this wasn't for me. It was like, to me, it was how many angels can stand on the head of a pen where I needed healing from this. Yeah. And I needed to be in like a more loving environment where this was like boot camp to be a pastor. And I wasn't ready for that. Like I was not prepared. And so before my finals of my first, my second term, I decided to drop out, which knowing I would never come back. Meaning if I drop out after a whole term and don't take the finals, I'm not going to come back and take the whole term again and take the finals. Mm-hmm. I knew I was putting my foot down and, and leaving. So I called my parents and was like, yeah, I'm dropping out of, of seminary. Like right now. Like right now. Right. My mom said, and my mom, like I said, is a Southern woman, so nice and polite. Whenever she goes, when are you going to wake up and realize that life is just fucking hard and clock in like everybody else? Which I'm sure at that point they're fed up with me because I've been all over the place. Yeah. My dad calls me a fart in the windstorm. Like, <laughs> I just, you know, I'm on to the next thing. Right. So I said, I'd rather die. And I hung up the phone. That was the first, then what? Rather die than th- what? She said, clock in like everybody else. Oh. I said, I'd rather die. Got it. And I hung up the phone. And I packed up my bags and I moved to Australia and joined Youth with a Mission, which was like a non-denominational mission group just out there in the world doing good YWAM? shit. Yeah, YWAM. Like I did after high school. Yeah. So I did YWAM for based out of Australia. Four terms. Oh, you did really? Oh yeah. <laughs> I did YWAM. So I did that based out of Australia, Malaysia, China, what? Solomon Islands. Yeah. How did I not know? I don't this? know. I don't know. You're a YWAM? I did DTS. Oh my gosh. I did an SOE. Wow. I did uh, SBS. Yeah, me too. And then I did a teaching English course. Wow. I did four courses. Wow. With them, so trying to find my way. Yeah, totally. So I was trying to find, I initially thought like this is the higher path, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. serving people or like loving people well. Anyway, I did YWAM and then I couldn't find my place. And yeah. I was like, I don't mm-hmm. want to do medical things. I don't want to teach in a like preschool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'm, I, yeah, so I you, did, you know, I, I know that. Yeah. yeah. I know I was like trying to find myself to say, I want to make an impact on the world or like, I want to do something that's helping people. And I thought, I thought that, that was, so like my dad had known Lauren Cunningham. Got it. And so my dad was introduced why wham. So funny. No one's going to know what the hell we're talking about. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So I was graduating high school and then I was not sure I was going to go to freaking college for missions. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> And my dad was like, why don't you 
do this thing and see if you like it and then see if that's maybe a path forward within like helping people. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, cool. Cause I like, wasn't sure. So he had known Lauren Cunningham. And so then I had done that, um, after high school for anyway, I, but that's, what's so crazy is I'm old at 23, 24. I'm old compared to most people coming into it. Um, which was a real dichotomy because I had all these younger people in charge of me, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and yet, when we're in the thick of it, like when shit hits the fan, I'm the one that steps up and would lead mm-hmm. in the troubled times. Like we got robbed in the Solomon Islands and had all sort of people got malaria. Like it was it was a mess. Um, but what was cool at that time is I grew up in Winter Park as John Rife the Third in big shoes to fill, big shadow. You know, my grandfather was well known. Like it just was like you took a walk about. So I, I'm gone. Yeah, I get to be whoever this John is, and within you know at 24, at 24, 25. at 24, 25. So within a year, I'm at asked to come to Lauren Cunningham's house. I'm staying this is there. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm helping them create the Facebook for YWAM before, before Facebook. I'm traveling to Lausanne and Singapore and all this. So I'm finding success as myself, not because of anybody else. I did my DTS in 1998 to 1999. So I was 20, I would have been 2001 and two. I came back in 2003. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So, okay. so, but that, right. I'll tell you, it's funny because that is what made me come home. And it's really the pivotal switch for me of coming back to owning who I came from is I was working the Solomon Islands and loving it. I, mean, I, lo- I was, couldn't have been happier. I had a thousand dollars a month in support and I was living like a king in my mind. Like mm-hmm. I'm doing great work. I- I'm out changing the world. And this guy said to me, well, I need, you know, there's people are dying of cholera because of the water situation in the Solomon Islands and we need a water catchment basin. Like, well, how expensive is that? Oh, like 400 American dollars. I'm like 400 American dollars, like will save the town and give everyone clean water. Like what the hell? Like I I can't afford that. But I'm I'm thinking, but I could go back and and learn my family business and apply myself and then use those funds to do that. Mm. So I came back very much on purpose and I came back as John Rife, not the third and said, Hey, I'm willing to come back to the family business. Uh, You know, I'm, I'll I'll apply myself and put my head down and learn this for the next five, 10 years. And I've not been with it for 18 years. Um, But it gave me a purpose for the means, like the means to the end, like, okay, great. I can make good money doing real estate, but Mm -hmm. why now I'm coming back going, I'm doing it because I want to get back into serving missions. So now I, you know, do missions in Haiti, I leave next Thursday to do it. And so it's a big part of my life still, Mm -hmm. but it's something that is that shift happened and it was in a great time. Like I am so grateful I came back and applied myself to my family business. And out of that came, you know, urban farming and the winter park harvest festival and Easton market and, you know, beekeeping, all these fun things I've gotten Mm. to do and also be able to do stuff in Haiti because I came back on my own terms to my family on purpose. And they went, I think that's what they wanted. I'm sure they were miserable with me. My parents, like, I'm all on to, I'm, I'm interested in this. I want to be an actor. I want to be a musician. I'm going to live in Asheville. I'm going to live in Miami. Not a seven at no, all. No, I'm not. So, <laughs> so they were like, I'm sure they were finally like, finally, you, you got it figured out, you know? So it only took me three years. And figuring out the, I think the deeper purposing of life, mm-hmm. right? Is, is the benefit of the community and the benefit of the world and, and of, of serving others and, whether you're an accountant or whether you're in formal ministry or whether you're an actress or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. the, the underlying purpose, like you have to be grounded in that or else really the, the bigger picture is, is never going to fulfill you. Right. Right. Yeah. And 
And, and when that gets off track or if you don't have that to begin with, then you can be searching after all these professions, but it's never going to be the end goal will never be the deepest part of you mm-hmm. feeling fulfilled. Yeah. Right. And what a travesty. Yeah. Or travesty. So it kind of plays into as we are in our adult lives and we're working towards things that we are, um, are in our DNA, are the things that we are built and born to do. Has there ever been like a seminal moment, like in your adult life that you felt very like proud by, or like looked back and said like, man, like I've worked really hard and this is the outcome. And I get to see, sit here and see like something come to fruition Mm -hmm. that I feel like a lot of pride in. Um, probably, I mean, certainly opening East End, but before that, um, I, my wife and I took, I, she finished her degree. I was starting my degree in September and that summer we took a three month trip. I was like, I'm gonna take a break from work. I know I'm going to start a degree. I mean, at night while still working, but so we took a three month trip around the country. Saw so many great things, particularly like front of table movement type stuff. And And what year is this? This 2007. Okay. Came back and went, why isn't this happening here? So I came back and as my film degree, I got to shoot a little documentary film about eating locally. So in 2007, I'm at Dandelion Community Cafe. I'm at the Evolve store, which is now, um, it's became the co-op and that's now gone. But like basically kind of in the early stages of like slow food and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, I'm just the token yuppie at the drum circle. Like I'm just there absorbing everything I can. And really did that- When did the Ravenous Pig open? Um, Because I feel like that was one of the- 19 that's god that's a great question a premiere yeah and their brother had done a deal with us julian and brian had come and done greens and grill out at millennia which is a shopping mm-hmm. center that i'm a partner in yeah and so that must have been 2005 2005 or six mm-hmm. i think was maybe when they came out so so that's happening very slowly it's all happening about the same time so Creeping. five six seven yeah you're seeing these things on the headlines like omnivores dilemma is a book that's talking about the food system um 100 mile diet is a book written by some a couple in vancouver trying to eat within 100 miles of their home we're seeing that on our trip we're listening to npr and they're interviewing these great people and i came mm-hmm. home like it's totally fired up and they're, i'm like we live in florida you can grow nine months out of the year almost and really all of it if you grow specialty products mm-hmm. uh, why isn't this happening here so film that started going over the next three years like going to the green drinks and organic growers meeting and turning my yard into a farm and just kind of dabbling in it and being in it and knowing that there was something great here, but not really understanding where I could plug in. Cause I didn't have a business in that. Like I'm literally just the real estate guy that thinks this stuff's cool. And I just realized that, that we, it was still very granola and the affluent and influential people had not learned about it yet or didn't know how mm. to plug in, but that the grassroots side really needed their, their disposable income. To, to reach sustainability. Like everyone's so doing it, it right. So it was very, still pretty <clears throat> crunchy. Oh yeah. Right. So the reality of like the culture hadn't, hadn't trans, hadn't transpired into like the beautiful things of that community, right. which needed to be integrated into the community at large. Yeah. But it was very new and wasn't mainstream. Well, was, they're doing, they're doing everything that if you picked up and took it to New York city they'd be getting top dollar for this stuff like right. organically grown sustainably grown products handmade locally sourced things from local fiber like amazing stuff mm-hmm. but the local community here is just so, a little bit behind the times and we didn't know it's like why don't we i mean oh i know how this we always started are. yeah well it's yeah. okay we're good with yeah. it um i'll film an all local thanksgiving that's where it started i'm gonna go to all the local farms and try to get local only products for my thanksgiving i started mapping it out I'm like this is gonna take weeks 
Like, what if I just mm. brought all of them together at one time? And so I pitched the idea to the city of Winter Park. Could I rent the park and bring in these farmers? Well, I didn't know a lot of farmers. I knew a couple. Um, so Gabby Lothrop, who runs mm-hmm. the Audubon Park Community Market, mm-hmm. I reached out to her. And at the time she was working out at UCF, said, hey, if I build this, will you help source some of these farmers? And, and I'll, you know. Like Edible Magazine was just starting, um, Florida School of Holistic Living. If I I can do workshops, like basically a micro, actually a macro Microcosm, East End. Yeah. Like what's a one day local only farmer's market and festival look like? And I'll bring in the kind of music I love, like bluegrass music. And we'll have a big dinner where the dinner is really expensive and it subsidizes it so the farmers can come. And so that happened in 2010. And uh-huh. I, no one, I didn't know it would work. Right. And my wife's like, what's the worst case scenario? I'm like, well, we lose 30 grand you know, which is at that time would have been devastating. And so it was like, um, she goes, what if no one shows up? I'm like, then we're really screwed. Right. <laughs> so I remember walking around Gabby and I've set everything up. We have all the merchants coming. And of course, all the merchants are looking at you as the one, you know, this like marketing an event, like are people going to show up for this thing? Mm-hmm. And it was like 30 minutes before the event. There's no one there. I mean, I just remember Gabby and I looking at each other like, oh, oh my God, shit. what if no one shows up? <laughs> and then maybe it was like 1030. I think maybe it started at nine. And we just were so busy doing stuff. We hadn't had a chance to check in with each other. And like we walked down the aisle together coming from different directions. And it's full of people. There's mm. people. There's hipsters hula hooping. And there's, you know, penny loafer attorneys. And everyone's galvanized around this food. And we had a huge... I'd work with all these local schools to do mobile garden beds. And we mm. brought like 400 garden beds and to build a one day community garden and it's working. And I remember just thinking, this is it. Like this thing that I had a vision for has come to fruition and it's here. And it was, and it's supported by the community and, and, and it's a give back. Like it was like, it was me saying, I love all these merchants and what they do, what they stand for. And it yeah. was so proud. I was so proud to have created an environment where they got to show off what they do mm-hmm. and that people mm-hmm. were digging it. Like that there were people, 10 people deep at lines. I'm like, see, they are badass. Like just no one knew. Cause they're this granola guy in the back of the thing, making homemade peanut butter, like, right. but it's amazing stuff. So I think that was, and I think also like <clears throat> jumping ahead, but mm-hmm. like curating things well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, having the platform to to speak to what is important and then how you put that together is also probably people probably like farmers markets for orlando hasn't been like i'm sure in california or new york or whatever but like here thankfully they've taken off we've i mean mm-hmm. we've had them for a while but they haven't been forever and they haven't right. been always so yeah. like pioneering that mm-hmm. and then how you choose the right elements to make it successful. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like one of the first people helping to show the need yeah. for what these people are offering. Cause it's not just granola. It is. No, like, it's great stuff. It's just, a, it is, I think it, it, those businesses are typically heart led. And so that's why it feels granola because sometimes you don't make money at it until you've been at it a long time. And someone sure. understands the artistry and someone's told the narrative of why it's worth buying sure. your stuff versus the Costco brand. Um, so no, I think very big sense of fulfillment in that point. And I think my parents were like, okay, like a lot of their friends bought tickets to the dinner. And so it was cool to connect old school winter park mm-hmm. stuff to this vibrancy that's exists in central Florida that they don't really get in contact with. Mm-hmm. But now those same people are now, you know, at ravenous pig and casket larder and these restaurants and, you know, supporting these great chefs. So yeah, that yeah. was a pretty awesome moment. That is beautiful. I never knew that. That's so cool. Um, would you give us a little bit of a glimpse into what you actually do and what your roles are within the community? And sure. yeah, we didn't start with that, but I'd like to 
Yeah. Put that in there. Ha- happy to. Yeah. Um, I am the owner of East End Market. Um, in that role, I don't want to say I'm P.T. Barnum, but it's a little bit of that. Like, it's a circus that you're trying to find the right bearded lady and the right clown troupe and, and that sense of curation and both both for permanent merchants, both for pop-up stuff like for our evening exchange program, um, people in the kitchens, like always trying to look and see what what is going to um, synergize with where Orlando is and, mm-hmm. and what are people going to get behind and, and where can I help create a platform for somebody. So um, a lot of what we do is not um, a lot of what I spend my time on is not dollar driven. It's like just being in the weeds with a business that's trying to get started. And there's no payback to us other than the they pay their feel rent. good. No, I'm saying even people that aren't tenants, oh, you know, that are okay. maybe, maybe they're using our kitchen or something. And so it's just, how do I help you get to the next level? Or how do I introduce you to the right people? And mm-hmm. how do I, you know, like when, when Lineage was looking to do their next store and looking for investors. And it's a lot like how I remember listening to Caleb's story with them raising money for expansion of hawkers. Like these guys don't have any connection to that world yet. Mm-hmm. but that's a world that I live in. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we'll talk to this attorney and well, what can we ask? I'm like, well, you can ask whatever you want, but not everyone will pay invest at that rate or whatever. So a lot of it is just, I mean, even the tenants in the building, like this is the first time they've signed a real lease. You know, they've been at farmer's markets and run their businesses, but like our lease at Easton is 45 pages long. I mean, it's a big boy lease and granted I'm a nice guy and I never pull it out and we always try to handshake on stuff, but it is, it, it is many times the first time some of these businesses have gone from, cooking in their kitchen like at home, home cottage, yeah. to, you know, Jessica is working with them to say, look, you have to have this permit. You can't bring in food in a bag and then take it out and bring it back. Like it's now in theory been spoiled, Like you have to have towels from a, a company. You can't bring in your home tea towels. <laughs> like all this stuff is stuff people have to learn. Sure. And so a lot of what we do is just try to create, try to create an exponential growth path for concepts so that mm-hmm. they're not stuck in having to figure this all out for themselves. So, so East end is that, it's a sandbox that I get to play in. I have great staff that that run it, and it uh, you know it could essentially run itself. Still do a lot of real estate stuff. And at, and Easton has <clears> been around for how long? Six years. Six years. Yeah, over six years. So November yeah. six. Um, so we're actually going through a kind of reinvent now. So we're going to do redo a lot of the exterior and common area stuff because when we started, oh. it was really farm to table and like industrial rustic, and yeah, that was great for its time. But we've sort of moved on from that, and okay. the aesthetic of some of our tenants have moved on. So we're met with some designers on Monday and um, looking at how do we create more because we want to this space to be a third place for the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, I care about Orlando as a whole, but I really care a lot about Audubon Park and sure. how do we serve that community better and create places where people can linger and like our evening mm-hmm. exchange, which is the third Friday. <gasps> it's just a place. Yeah. It's a place that people can come and just yeah. meet their neighbors and walk around. I mean, some people walk from their homes. It's awesome. Um, so we, I want to create more of that. And well, 2016 was Oh yeah, Audubon got awarded the, big, the yeah national, yeah, national uh, neighborhood, which is crazy because it's such a terrible street, but it's full of so many amazing people in a great right. school. And um, so that I do that, I do commercial real estate development still with my dad. And as he declines with Parkinson's, I take over more and more of what he has built and okay. managing that. Um, my wife and I um, four or five months ago took over the Haiti mission for St. Margaret Mary. So I've been going for I think ten years, um, but mostly to do agricultural work as one of the projects that they do down mm-hmm. there. And now Cameron and I are moving into being the coordinators for the whole thing. 
um, as the elder statesman starts to age out of it. He's still involved, thank God, because he knows everybody down there and he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing that. So we go, you know, three or four times a year down there and have some multiple projects happening. And there's all probably once a month or every other month, someone from the missions down there doing work. Um, so we do that and then just be family and, and enjoy sure. living in a park, riding our bikes to school and are, you know, involved with our kids' sports and try to, um, that's a big privilege to have. Oh man, I love it. Like that, yeah. that uh, that's what it's for. Like yeah. when I start getting really stressed out about work or life, I'm like, okay, well, what's this for? Hmm. What's for the quality of life that I get to live with my kids yeah. and my wife and my community and getting to go um, support. Like, I love that we get to sponsor stuff now as East End. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we get to do some philanthropy and like support things that we believe in. And that's that little 25 year old guy in the Solomon Islands that said, I want to build a water retention basin. I'm going to come back to Orlando. It, that's happening now, but mm-hmm. it only took, you know, 18 years, but, yeah. um, but it's happening. So um, yeah, it's, it's a good time. I'm excited for 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was mentioned to you before the podcast, like, you know, you, you make all these goals for the year and you feel, I feel, I feel so overwhelmed by them all. And my mm-hmm. wife's like, you have all year right. to get this done. It's just Take January, a deep breath. Right? Yeah. yeah. You're only two weeks in. So, uh, but that's, you've that's got, it. you've got a lot of things going and you mm-hmm. like a lot of things. Yeah. And that is going to transition to our next topic, which is one of my favorites, which is the Enneagram. Um, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, Enneagram is kind of like a, a roadmap of sorts to helping to, um, find your path. I think like personality. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But I think it's also like, kind of like how to, how to look at you as an individual and then how you navigate your pathway through life and, Mm -hmm. and with people, which is a huge component of navigating the world is, is communication and and love and working relationships with other human beings, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes hard for me. Um, but the Enneagram, you would say that you are probably, you took the test and you turned out as a seven. As a seven. Okay. Um, so they also have like wings, which the wing is like on either side of you. So the six, which is the loyalist, mm-hmm. very like security driven. And then the eight, which is the challenger. Do you feel like you would more identify with one of those? I think I have a very strong sense of justice. Mm-hmm. I, I, if, if there's something going on that's not, if something, if someone has an opinion that's counter to mine, I'm not really going to get into confrontation with them. Like I could care less about people's politics or religion or sexual mm-hmm. orientation or whatever. But if someone starts to be unjust about something, I'm like, don't do that around me because I've really, it really burns me up and I, right. I will get in the middle of it whether I should or not. Um, so from, from that standpoint, um, I don't know if that means sex, but like, um, no, the six is the <clears throat> eight is the challenger. Okay. So the challenger is gets fired up about justice. Okay. And about like, um, and I mean, I kind of see that through thread of like you challenging the system to say like you are old Winter Park money, mm-hmm. but let's like ch- you want to challenge the system with like healthy living, healthy mm-hmm. eating, and this is something that's totally foreign to you, but I'm gonna yeah. like introduce it to you anyway and then the culture catch up, catches on from there but so a seven pop probably wing eight like, which i is, would definitely say that i want to always try to find like i know in the test they say all the time like you know go with the tried and true way or try something new try something new right like i'm not someone that bound to tradition at all like mm-hmm. and even in our my marriage like i'm the woman my wife's the man hmm. like she's so content to sit on the couch and watch ncaa football all day saturday and i'm like 
what can we do with the kid? We'll go to the museum. We'll go play Dungeons and Dragons. We'll, you know, whatever. What, what quirky, weird thing can we go do? Right. And I'm the emotional one and she's, you know, more of the stoic. And so actually it balances really well. Sure. But I think in that regard, I have always felt like I was a little not able to fit into the typical male box. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. But that's also like the seven. The seven mm-hmm. is the spontaneous. The seven wants to like be everywhere at every time. They mm-hmm. want to meet all the people, right? They are often life of the party and they just are energized by people and yeah. by trying new things and, and, and doing what's never been done before, right? Mm-hmm. And and in the, on the flip side of that, kind of like avoiding pain and the things that are like maybe boring and a little bit more mundane. They're like, I want to be, yeah, I want to be in meetings. I want to talk about new things. I want to do the things. And, and you've, you have put rubber to the road where it counts as far as being able to, um, open a successful and sustain a business. Um, because sevens have so many ideas like r- running through your head. And I'm sure maybe that's Which part is of such a great balance. So I, and it's a bad story to tell in that we try not to use this, analogy anymore i call my wife the dream squasher and it's a healthy thing for me like i'm gonna go i'm captain kirk i go let's go to the foreign land you know let's uh, beam me up and she goes "Uh, captain we don't have the power in the warp drive you know (laughs) take it off of warp you know she's she's the one that goes okay whoa cowboy like what does it mean if you commit Mm, to that thing and mm -hmm. how much time do we have and to to be family and and so she's she's saved me a a lot from jumping in stuff at the same time she will say if it's easy john doesn't want to do it like Mm. i want i do want to challenge and i want to push against tradition i want to try new things and and so i'm grateful that she gives me the latitude to do that at the same time she's keeping my ass out of the fire and so it does make for an interesting balance in that I hate follow-up. I hate routine, but she loves that. She wants structure. Mm-hmm. And so she does all of her books at the market. And so it really, you guys thank are a God. Team yes. But we weren't sense. at first. Like I, okay. her, and what's funny is her love language is time. Mm-hmm. And so prior to Easton, I had a lot of time because I was doing the festival once a year. I was doing real estate. Like wasn't a lot. I started, you know, getting, trying to develop Easton. It was a lot of time. And I remember we went to our counselor and, uh, that was one of the complaints is that mm. he's busy, even if it was just from nine to five, but I'm nine to five, I'm working, you know, to right. get this stuff done. And she's like, well, Cameron, you were the captain of your teams and you like team. And what about joining the team? And I was like, oh my God, please. It took me two hours to write a check and figure out what to do in QuickBooks. Like, help me. And she's like, I do have an MBA. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and, and. And so then she agreed to come on. So mm. that was a game changer because then she understood. Yeah emotionally where I was, you know, like what it had gone on during the day and what we were experiencing and the highs and lows of, I mean, developing a project like that, like there's days that are superlative and there's days where you're like, is this thing going to work? Oh my God, are we ever going to open <laughs> right. this damn thing? Um, so yeah, right. Sorry, off track, but just no. Yeah. So as a seven, you love to be all over the place and dream things. Can you, can you tell us like one crazy like idea or dream that you've like ever. So I started to help had. a company, um, started to create a company at um, when I was in school at UCF for my master's degree called Interactive Expeditions. And it was um, satellite video interactive between some place that you really maybe wouldn't want to go because it's dangerous. But then you're able to see the adventurer there and communicate with them there, but you're safe at home. Okay. And so we did a pilot where we were in these underwater caves in Bermuda that had never been explored before with a live video feed satellite linked to the Orlando Science Center. And one of the divers' sons is back 
here at the science center talking to his dad live while he's, you know, um, a mile into this cave underwater in Bermuda, seeing fish that have never been seen before and whatever. It's like wackadoo shit like that. I'm like, that's so cool. Like I just, and there's so many things like that where I could have run with that. That could be what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I'm always looking at what, what fun thing and how do we connect technology to give people better experiences and, um, I love where we've come. I mean, with technology now, I just think about how much the world is now able to be seen, you mm-hmm. know, and communicated with. Like, I communicate every day with people in Haiti, and thanks to Google Translate, we get it 95% right. You know, I say in English what I need to say, it translates it, he writes back, and we're able to communicate pretty darn close to mm-hmm. what we need. And then, so yeah, I don't know. I That's love stuff like crazy. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated. That's oh my gosh, I have one for you. Okay. Do you know that if Google Translate, if you look at like a Spanish menu and you turn the camera on, mm-hmm. it changes the letters as you're looking at it on the screen? Mm-hmm. What in the actual F? That's yeah. amazing. It blew my mind. I, I, we're in Portugal. I'm like, t- I want to take a picture and think I could scan it or something. And it just, we're looking at it like, this is the matrix. Like, what is happening? <laughs> it was amazing. I used that a little bit yeah. with last summer when I was in um, when I was in Portugal and mm-hmm. Spain and France. I would do that, and and it worked. I would say maybe seventy five percent of the time. Okay. Yeah, some of it I was like, oh, some uh, of yeah. those words are not exactly coming through. But it was also like technology is changing life, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. like the. I mean, I remember being back in Europe in like two thousand two. There was no GPS. There was no freaking Airbnb. There was no. Mm-hmm. Um, way of communicating that wasn't just like your little pocket dictionary. Right. right? And yeah. so like, this is just going back, you know, in more recent years, it's, it's a huge change in the way we travel globally. One of the things I love about it is that it will prevent the per- pervasiveness of English. Hmm. That the fact that it's now so easy to keep your native language means that people will be speaking their native languages longer. We won't lose the richness of those okay. languages. I think so, because it's easy to talk. It's easy. If you want to talk to an English speaker, you used to have to be able to speak English. Where now, mm-hmm. like, my guys don't need to speak English. Like, they can speak Haitian Creole. But I feel like when I go, like, so when I'm, like, in Paris now mm-hmm. versus Paris 2002, mm-hmm. I feel like more people speak English now than they would have back then or in Spain mm-hmm. or in... I can remember going to Barcelona in way back, and I was like... Oh my God. I mean, I took three years of Spanish in high school and I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit, I do not understand. Well, when I was in Barcelona, so to speak, yeah, ca- Catalan, totally yeah. which I did not understand. I thought yeah. it was like, oh, like Spanish, I'm going to be able to like get by. I could not understand anything in Catalan, but I got there and I really felt like at that time that uh, there was not a lot of English speakers versus mm. going to Barcelona last year mm. and a lot more. just a lot more mm. was. Um, so thankfully we can communicate yeah. more, whether it's Google Translate or just, you know, hopefully, I mean, I'm trying to learn a little bit more Spanish, but the, the, I think they, they know in, in tourism, it's like English is still king True. in yeah. that, in that sense. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> so have you seen, like, if you are digging into the Enneagram or even personality things or Myers-Briggs or whatever, but like, how have you, how is the self-awareness of yourself through these mediums um, kind of helped you in a professional sense? For sure to hire for weakness. Hmm. Like, what does that mean? Like, so if, if I'm looking at a project, what part do I know I'm not? Here's the mm. total epiphany mm-hmm. is the things that I truly hate about a project 
someone actually likes. How does that work? Mm -hmm. Someone wants to do the structured thing. Someone does not want to be the front person. Someone Mm -hmm. does not want to be the idea and risk taker. Someone Mm -hmm. wants the safe job that is dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's. And it's liberating because I, and I'm not good at this. My staff will tell you, I am not great at delegating because if I'm delegating something I don't want to do, I'm assuming they don't want to do it either because I wouldn't want to do it. Okay, And so... But that's not the case. And it's also disempowering for your staff because they're going, why don't you trust me with more? Yeah. Like, because I don't think you'd want to do that. I, I'd hate like, to do, I don't want yeah. to do that. Why I'd do you want to do that? Right? You actually want to do that. God bless you. Um, so I think that was, that's a big one is, is understanding that, that some of my strengths are my weaknesses, you know, and that like, because I can look at a bunch of things all at the same time, I'm going to miss the detail stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to have somebody there to catch that because I will absolutely drop that. Um, but I do think in, in hiring or in partnering, like partnering on projects is finding out where, like, if, if I'm going to collaborate with somebody or a brand or something at East end, what are they really good at? And what are we really good at? And mm-hmm. what do we bring to the party? Making sure that everybody brings something to the picnic. All the that, bases are covered. That they're covered. Cause right. if we're all just marketers then the event falls apart. There's no event all, planner. If we're all just planners, right. yeah. the event's amazing and no one shows up. Right. So it's like, it's gotta be that balance. Right. Right. Fair enough. That's awesome. Um, so something that I've seen you do in the community is create space. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I feel very, um, happy is here. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just like want to appreciate and acknowledge the work and the investment that you put into something like East End. And I know you have other projects around town, but the spaces for community and the tangible ways that we can go and engage and having beautiful spaces that are very well curated with you have really put the time and effort to know that the vendors in there are not just whoever can sign a lease, right? Like I've got this money, so I'm going to be in here, but having this beautiful space with awesome people that are invested in the community that you're invested here and that you're invested globally, I think is, um, the impact has been, has been seen and felt. And I have like appreciated that so much. So like, I thank you so much for what you've done and that you continue to do. And I've lived here since 2000, right? So I've been here a long time. I haven't been here my whole life. And I only really came into kind of knowing a lot of things that were happening probably around like 2008 or so, but to see the amount of growth and, and to see, I mean, I've seen a lot of people leave, obviously, in 20 years, but to see people stay here with the level of talent and to invest in the city to make it what it is, mm-hmm. I think you're a part of that. And so thank you for like what you do within this Orlando community and and, and I think the graciousness and the ways that you the ways that you do that. And I think that, that also speaks a lot to what Orlando has become, like the people I have invested here and the ways and the purpose that they're doing it with, right? It's not just money and the return on the money, mm-hmm. but it is, it is like saying like, this is important and we're going to put our money behind it and here's why. And introducing new things to people and making those connections. And, and it has been successful because I think when they see the reason for the products that we need and the lifestyle that we hopefully are moving towards um, in the space of health and wellness is, is a game changer. And I just 
Thank well, you for listen, being a part of that. <laughs> it's a mutual so. admiration society. I, you yeah. know, I really, I love when people get an idea and give it a go, you know, and, and, and are willing to figure it out on the way. I think that is, I think the, the, yeah. the lie of perfection prevents so many people from actually just trying something and figuring mm-hmm. it out on the way. And I mean, you were figuring it on the way I and mean, you, hell, you were cooking the dinners yourself. I mean, God bless. <laughs> So, no, I think, you know, there, it, it's awesome there's more people doing that. And I can remember meeting um, Julie Petrakis and Brian when they came in to talk about Greens and Grill and thinking, I'm so grateful that there are people that are from here that decided to stay mm-hmm. or come back because so many people left. And, you know, and yeah. I would say I was seeing less of that now. Like, I remember 2005, six, seven, meeting a lot of young people that were here for school. I'm like, I'm getting out of here. Orlando doesn't have anything for me. Mm-hmm. Where now I think we're going, you know, I can stay. Make something yeah. really great happen. So I'm, I'm grateful that you've shown that that's possible. And all the conversations that have happened that have led to hmm. spinoffs of ideas that were born and are now living in the community. I mean, that that's thanks to you. So, I mean, good for yeah. you. Thanks. So as you have a lot of things going and you like to have a lot of things going, um, my final topic is rest, mm-hmm. which for entrepreneurs is also often an interesting topic. Right. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, it is a, um, a thing that is in process for, mm-hmm. you know, some people and some people have it mastered. And um, it's something that has been very vital and important to me, especially in the past kind of year and a half or so. Um, but what have been some practices or things that you have adopted into your life to establish um, like a rhythm of rest, whether that's play, discovery, physical rest? Mm-hmm. How, how does rest manifest in your life? That's a great one. That really is so important. Like how we are all generally not very good at it. Um, I mean, I can start by saying I always give enough sleep, mm-hmm. period. Like I will go to bed. I usually go to bed when I'm in my routine. I go to bed at 9, 15, 9, 30, and I get up about 5, 15, 5, 30. I go. That is so early. Yeah. Well, Are I you go, a morning person? I'm a morning person. Okay. Um, so I get up and I go, I, I drive that. to the gym and I sit outside my car and I meditate for 10 minutes. So I use an app called Headspace. Mm-hmm. And so depending on where I am psychologically, like they'll have a happiness one or overcoming stress or overwhelm or performance or success. And so I kind of just take a journey for a week or two, eat through those meditations, um, go work out, come back. I walk my dogs, um, take the kids to school. And then usually for the, from like eight to nine is my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be at a coffee shop. I, do, I try not to do any work stuff. And then I try for the first two hours of the day, like nine to 11 to have deep work, like I pick a project and so for the first nine o'clock to 10, I'm only working on that thing from 10 o'clock to 11. And then only that thing. And then after that, bar the door, like whatever, everyone can have attention and I'll deal with whatever fires are burning. Um, but I am pretty much done by five each day. Nice. If not before, if the kids have something going on, I want to be a part of it. I'll come watch their sports or whatever. Right. Um, but then try, I walk the dogs again. So both of those times, I really try have a walking meditation that I do. So mm-hmm. just try to be present, feel the steps, take the breath, enjoy that I live in a city that's safe and clean. And yeah, you know, I mean, getting to work in places like Haiti, it's not you safe to do that kind of stuff. So I just have appreciation for where I live. Real big reality. Yeah. yeah. Um, weekends, we really try to just be family um, and not do any work. I, I will say that something that's super critical for me is I have a do not disturb that goes on automatically on my phone at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. from anything. Same. Instagram, yeah. anything. I don't Messages, want anything. Yeah. 
and then I it, it stops at I think it stops at might stop at seven a.m. Um, Mine stops at nine a.m. Yeah, that was huge. <laughs> right. So that that was really big to help me kind of unplug. Um, I started reading a lot more um, and getting away yes. from digital distractions. So getting away from Netflix. I mean, I love Netflix and I love watching. I have a degree in film, so like I love watching great film, but. Mm-hmm. Um, not just vegging out. Not vegging out. Like, right. I will never watch an episode after an episode. Like, plus uh, I have to go to bed. Okay. Like, my kids go to bed at 7.38. I've got an hour with my wife, you know. I mean, uh-huh. we work together, so we get to see each other. But right. really one hour until it's downtime. So we typically, kids go to bed, we get in bed. And we just read. And, okay. you know, if you're an Orlando citizen, the Orange County Library System is amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. It's amazing. They will yeah. deliver books to your yeah. door. yeah. They have almost anything that you need. And digital. Like I read on my Dig- Kindle. I just yeah. download the books. Was it Libby? So or- Libby. Well, I use Overdrive, which is the early Overdrive. predecessor to Libby. It's the same. Same okay. thing. Um, so Libby app. And right. we do the same thing on the summer road trips. Like we download audiobooks for the kids. Like mm-hmm. our kids, they don't get to do anything digital during the week. So And then they only get to do about an hour or two in the morning on Saturdays. So they read. Like last night, my son couldn't sleep because he was anxious about something like well just read your book for a little while i come in the book's like flat on his face right. and I'm like done um so we we do that a lot and um i've been playing we've been this is just another fun thing i've been playing dungeons and dragons with my kids and it's something i grew up playing and just okay. the imagination and the role playing and the i don't want to say i don't want to say it's escapism but it's like you're able to get out some of the things that are happening in your life in mm, that that, in that setting sure and like my son had a he's kind of like me, tenderhearted, doesn't want to hurt anybody. And so like in soccer, he loves defense, but he hates being in the middle of the offense. And yet, you know, last, the end of the season, he scored two goals in the game. I'm like, what changed? He's like, I was thinking of my barbarian Grood in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, you don't push Grood around. I'm like, no shit. This has life skills, you know, like good for you, but you are a barbarian. Go get them, you know? So I just, I love. Proud dad moment. I was proud of him, but just love making memories and Mm. and using that time to be restful. We take a lot of time off in the year. Like we usually are gone most of the summer and although I'll work. That's a pretty big luxury. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'll work in the mornings and in the evenings and I'm in, I'm capable of being in touch. Like why not work somewhere else than here? Mm -hmm. And so it flips the day. So it's like I'm with my family during the core of the day and then in the night, in the morning, I'm working. And Mm -hmm. so it really lets us put in time that we wouldn't get to put in here. Um, Because when I'm here, I'm I'm working pretty full on into the end of the routine. I'll tell you, it helps a lot to get away from the keeping up with the Joneses, too. Yeah. Like when I'm not here, like we're in our RV. We're in an RV with other RVing people. And you can't tell if people are wealthy or not wealthy or whatever. They're all just there in a national park doing seeing the world. Mm -hmm genuine people. And so when you're in that setting, you're not feeling the pressure to like keep up or have the newest thing or, you know, achieve for the sake of achievement. Mm -hmm. So then I come back and I'm energized to do things that are meaningful first. And by doing that, they hopefully are successful, but if they're not, at least they were meaningful to me. Like East end was not, I can't wait to make a shit ton of money out of this project. Thank God it makes money because I really would have felt like a dumbass if I it didn't make money right but that was not my primary driver you know it is in other real estate projects but it was like I want to do something for myself too mm-hmm. I want a place that I can hang out and be proud of and that can be a showcase for all the things I think are awesome about Orlando so I think that rest of getting away and, and doing some R&D and mm-hmm. not being just stuck in it all the time you come back going 90 miles an hour instead of staying at 35 miles an hour your whole career sure. like it really helps absolutely yeah. 
So it sounds pretty dreamy and pretty great. And while this might be, it might be the same or might not be the same, but um, if you had an ideal day of rest, whether it was, you know, here in Orlando or anywhere in the world, money was not an object. What would like an ideal day of rest without having to work on your business? Like what would that look like for John to wake and wake up and just have the whole day free to do whatever you wanted here or anywhere in the world? Okay. Wake up. Yeah. Have some really great coffee. Okay. Like wherever I am, it's somewhere not here, like traveling You're somewhere, right. great, sure. great coffee. And maybe whatever the ritual is of that area, like how do they do coffee? Is it a French press? Okay. Is it ground there? Is it a, you know, whatever. Um, Are you very into coffee? No, no. Okay. But, but that is something that I truly do love. I actually don't drink any caffeine right now because um, I'm anxious enough as it is. And I noticed I was drinking too much caffeine. I was sitting, feeling like the world's coming apart. I'm like, <laughs> right. what's wrong with me? And I was like, I stopped on drinking. Edge I was because, on edge because I had like right. three, you know, <laughs> cold brews in me. Um, so I do love coffee. So I, I would have that. And when I'm on vacation, I drink coffee. Um, find some great cultural breakfast. Like we were just in Mexico a couple, I guess a month ago and had a real Mexican breakfast with like handmade corn tortillas and like fresh, fresh juice. And like, oh my God, it was so good. Hmm. So do that, then do some kind of exercise, then get cleaned up, then probably go on a hike you know, like do some kind of vigorous exercise, but then like go on a hike. Um, yeah, this is my sense of okay, rest um, right. with my, with my family yes. with, and my kids, they're, they're, they're game. They'll go multiple miles, okay. um, carry backpacks and a lunch and okay. go find someplace beautiful to set up. Um, mm-hmm. not backpacks, okay, hammocks, hammock? hammocks, okay. have lunch and then hang for an hour or two. Just read books, enjoy being outside and then come back down as you know, the day's ending. Yeah. Um, make a great dinner like on the grill or from a find a farmer's market that we've shopped at. Maybe we shopped it on the way to the hike, um, make a great meal and then sit in our comfy chairs and read books together or play games together or hang out together. I really do love my family. Like that is my sense of rest. Mm -hmm. And so they go to bed, you know, make love to my wife, have a nice Mm -hmm. evening and then call it a day. Yeah. That would be epic. Epic. When can I sign up for that? So, yeah. We can make that happen. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a pretty dreamy day and a, and a pretty dreamy life. So I'm glad that, that you have things that are very intentional around, around rest yeah. and like having the perspective of stepping back and how that time to restore and renew can bring you into like more life and full life versus like empowering through by hell or high water, I'm getting all this done. And when you when you are the owner of something, when you see, like you're not reporting to anybody, but you always see that either there are fires to put out or there is more to be done. Sometimes it is it is hard to kind of turn that off um, for the sake of rest. But you're like, well, I'm trading not doing anything mm-hmm. for something that can be done. But in the long run, the payoff of like being able to say like, hey, weekends are, are mine. Yeah. Or like after this after this hour, you can't you can't talk to me about work stuff. I right. Too when you're and you've heard the adage of like, you know, sharpen the axe, like chop, chop at the tree. Stop. Take a rest. Sharpen mm-hmm. the axe. Chop at the tree. Right. Rather than just whack, 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 whack. And it gets duller and duller and duller. I feel like when we don't have the energy, we do the urgent stuff. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. don't do the important stuff. Because hmm. the important stuff takes yeah. time, effort, energy, and creativity. And like, it's easier to go, I did a lot today. I knocked a lot off my list, but they're kind of insignificant little fires where if you had really worked on this project over here, it could have pushed you down the course a lot further. Sure. And so I think that 
you know, that grind, the entrepreneurial grind is a total BS thing. Like you really have to stop and take a break and rest. So when you come back, you can do the important work, the deep work. Right. And and keep in perspective the urgent and that, work. And that takes uh, learning how to also be hyper-focused yeah. um, to execute at that level. If you don't make a time in your day and put it on your calendar, it will not happen. Yeah. I, I don't check email until 11 if I can help it. Because otherwise I would, like people can wait three hours. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I try at night to say, what are the three things I want to accomplish tomorrow? I try to accomplish two in the morning. And then if I get to the other one sometime in the day, great. Right. But if I accomplish those two, then you're feeling I can put out fires the rest of the day. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta make time for it. Would there be like a life motto or adage that you could share with us? I live by this. You live by this. Okay. Let's hear it. This is not a dress rehearsal. Okay. True. This is it. This is it. This is it. If you're not happy with your life, you need to change it now because the wor- I do not want to be on my deathbed and regret not trying to seize the day. Yeah. And in particular, you know, ha- having someone go through, you know, a decline with Parkinson's and realizing their capabilities to seize the day are d- diminishing makes it so much more poignant to go, did I waste today? Hmm. Did I just chase putting out fires versus doing something meaningful, you know, in the world? Or did I come home in a bad way and not, available emotionally to my kids because I was still tied up with something at work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is it. Mm. And this is it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, having a brother with a brain injury and a dad in the state he's in is really in my, that was my motto since high school, but it's, it's even more so something I think it's about It's pretty weird to have in high school. Yeah. But that's the kind of weirdo I am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's right. true. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. What's yours? What is mine? Mm-hmm. That is a that is a good question. Um, I think it's it's like to to be pursuing think something that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, for me, it's like I don't have to do what the world tells me that I have to do. Yeah. So I can live in a different space, and I can invite people into that. Um, I think those are some of the things that are important to me. Um, excuse me, as we wrap up, where would we find you online? Like, so how do we get in touch with the things that you're doing? Yeah. At, at John Rife on Instagram is probably the easiest one okay. or Facebook. Um, I don't, I used to post a ton cause I used to be a personal brand. Like before I started all this, it was just me and my weird ideas of like ah, yeah, farming yeah. and beekeeping and whatever. And so that parlayed, I switched that into like, now it's the harvest festival. So like, because I even had a neat Come newsletter back then. Now follow this. And we'll do this. Yeah. yeah now yeah. follow East End. So, you know, you can obviously follow at East End MKT to see what's happening at the market. And a lot of that is the manifestation of the stuff I'm doing. Yeah. But to be honest, I try not to post a lot on Instagram. And I'm not much of a social media um, imbiber. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I, I don't consume, I don't all consume day. it. Yeah. I, I really don't because I don't want to, again, be keeping mm-hmm. up with the Joneses and feeling like, cause I know that it's a facade, Yeah, you know, and we're doing it too. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we don't post Same. bad pictures of, of Easton. Like we're posting the best shot where right. if you look back here, you can see that I really need to go jump on the recycling dumpster to buy us one more day. Like no one's taking that picture. <laughs> so I'm cognizant of that and not trying to be a, a comparer. And mm-hmm. so when I do 
check social media, it's usually on purpose. Like I'm looking at specific brands and seeing what they're doing and looking at specific people that I admire, like what quotes are they saying or life, life lesson stuff. Um, so the stuff on Instagram for me, John Rife is mostly family stuff and adventures or people I'm getting to meet with. And mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll post something about this. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's really it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all over town speaking of stuff. I, I we had an interview this morning with insider, uh, at the market, which will be awesome. I'll launch in March. And then I'm teaching a class at Rollins tonight with Bruce Stevenson about uh, urban planning and sustainability. And so, I mean, at least every other week I'm out there speaking at something, just sharing the gospel and, you know, yeah. trying to lure more people into this lifestyle. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thanks for your lifestyle and your time, thanks. um, doing some drinking and stories with me and for all that you do. So thanks for being on the podcast. What a treat. I mean, just to take time out of a busy day and like just chill and speak with someone like you who I really have such respect for and admire and um, to realize that we all are human. Like we're all in this together. It's Mm -hmm. not, I'm sure that people think, look at my life sometimes from a distance and go, Oh, he's got all of his shit together. Yeah. All the shit I have together is swirling around in my head. (laughs) So like, you know, God bless. I think. And a lot of it's not perfect. Right. Yeah. And I'm grateful for your transparency through the podcast and your social media. Like it's helpful to know that people don't have it together. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, there's a, you can go the full opposite direction and be way too transparent and show, you know, the the poop streak in your underwear. No one needs to see that, but like, but people do need to see that that the Velveteen Rabbit is real, mm-hmm. that we're just trying to get through this. And so I'm, I really appreciate your transparency and honesty. And I think it's probably something that I miss a little bit with, with Easton is that now I, that brand represents so many other people besides me. When we were starting, it was the narrative of how yeah. do we do this? So I kind of do feel like I need to get back on my own social media to be telling those stories that are important to me that mm-hmm. I can't really do through um, Easton, because it's although it's the brand that I own, it's really the brand of the Easton, right? The circus, so what we're um, offering here, yeah, but anyway, yeah, versus that and the stories and yeah. the people that are in it and yeah. your personal journey towards that. So, well, keep up doing what you're doing. I'm Thank excited. you. We got to collaborate sometime Likewise. soon. Likewise, yeah, for sure. Thanks for being on. All right, until pleasure. next time. Yeah, cheers. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 